Welcome, everybody. Man, it still feels so good to come in to the space in the morning and just walk indoors and have the outdoor space. Welcome to those of you uh, joining us online. Too. I wish you could see what I could see, and that is just a well-ventilated room and, you know, just a lot of just life and seeing faces again. By the way, as I say that, I'm no way trying to, like, guilt you into coming or that kind of thing, but it is wonderful to be here in person. And again, we're glad you can join us, those of you who are able to make uh, use of the online experience. Uh, today, we are continuing our series we've been calling Reset. Uh, the whole idea behind it is, you know, as we kind of get back into whatever normal is going to be coming out of a, a year or so of pandemic, at least here in the Bay Area, uh, we want to first hit the reset button, if you will, and ask what ought our priorities be? You know, instead of just getting back into the grind or the way things were, what ought to be our focus? What ought to matter most? And the premise of this series is character matters a lot. It's something that God cares a lot about, and it is cultivating in those who are his followers. So what we've been doing ever since the beginning of this series is looking at the wonderful character list found in Galatians chapter 5, known as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and we've been talking about c cultivating these wonderful character traits within us. We looked at cultivating love, joy, peace, patience. Well, today we're going to be talking about kindness, as it was read there in verse 35, cultivating kindness. Now, you may be thinking, well, what's the difference between kindness and love? And I think in English, we use the words kind of interchangeably. They're, they're similar in meaning. Love is a little bit more of a general sense of a term. Kindness is a bit more specific. Kindness is loving deeds. Kindness is doing something out of love for someone. And that is just absolutely repeated throughout here as Jesus gives this very famous teaching. You've, you've undoubtedly heard it, even if you haven't grown up in the, in the church, this famous teaching of love your enemies. He has all this language of, of, of kindness in action here. When he says things like verse 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Verse 31, of course, is the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemies, verse 35, do good to them. Okay, and then he says, of course, also very famously here, if anyone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If anyone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. So today we're talking about cultivating kindness, and more specifically, cultivating kindness in the face of opposition. And I think if we're real about it, and we kind of think about it uh, a little bit for ourselves, we'll recognize that as wonderful as these teachings are, uh, they, they probably don't come very naturally to us. Might be a little bit of an understatement there, right? Because on the one hand, these are wonderful teachings here. Love your enemies. That's kind of a, a mountaintop type ethic, right? Type unparalleled, unmatched teaching. And yet, on the other hand, it could very easily have the objection, well, but that's just too impractical. It's too lofty. It's too idealistic. There's just no way. But what Jesus is saying here is this is the only way. And God wants to cultivate this kindness within us, even in, especially in the face of opposition. So what we're going to look at today is a little bit more deeply what kindness is, what this kindness is, and how we can cultivate it, or at least join God in that work within us. But first, let, let's pray. Uh, Father, yeah, Lord, as we consider kindness, and if, if we take an honest look at ourselves, um, chances are, for, for many of us, we recognize how unkind we are. Um, more often than, 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 than not, and, and, and often so with people who are close to us, let alone those who are opposed to us. And so, Father, as we, we consider this wonderful character trait of kindness, Lord, would you please give us your spirit, first of all, to help understand it better, but then also and mainly 
uh, that your spirit would, would, would do your work to shape it within us, mold us increasingly into the likeness of Jesus, who is kind. We, we ask this all in his name. Amen. All right, so what is kindness and how do we cultivate it in our lives? First, what is kindness? Jesus famously taught here in verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. This is a wonderful statement that I humbly believe is often actually quite misunderstood um, because I think often what people can do is look at this and say, oh, this means Jesus is saying we should never stand up to injustice, that if someone does something harmful to us, well, we should just only ever just, you know, let it go and be run over, that sort of thing. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, the Bible doesn't really teach that. And we, we in fact, have a wonderful case study to learn just how Jesus responded when he himself was slapped, when he himself was struck in the face. Uh, towards the end of his life, when he was being falsely accused by the religious authorities, all the religious leaders were, were gathering around and just kind of condemning him ultimately to the crucifixion to crucifixion, they were coming around. In the midst of all of that, Jesus was randomly struck in the face, slapped. And how did he respond in that moment? Was it, oh, you hit this side, go, go ahead and get this one now too? You, you know, no. How did he respond? Jesus lodged a protest. Uh, listen to his words. This is from John chapter 18, verse 23. He said, if, someone, if I said anything wrong, testify to what was wrong. But if I spoke correctly, why did you strike me? It's a fascinating case study of the one who said, hey, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Jesus, notice, did not just let it go. But notice also, he didn't respond out of spite. I mean, often when we are slapped, or whatever the equivalent of that is, the we experience a sting of insult, what is our response? Uh, typically, I would imagine for most of us, the response is to be like, oh, how dare you? Who do you think you are? And you need to know who I am. Matter of fact, here comes another slap of equal, actually probably greater strength to just let you know. So we, right? But that's not how Jesus responded. He didn't just let it go, but he did say, hey, no, consider this. In fact, I, this, is, this is conjecture here. I, I wonder if what Jesus was doing was putting a little bookmark in there for probably the person who, who struck him, let alone the other religious leaders in that moment, to come back hopefully at some point and realize what they had actually done. And maybe, just maybe, realize or see God's working in that and maybe make a change. It was a loving response, if anything, even as he didn't let it go. And I think that's at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here in this text. When he says, turn the other cheek, he's not just talking refraining from retaliation, but still hoping for the relationship. Having concern for the relationship, even if it's putting aside, a little, feeling a little bit of insult or personal pride, uh, being uh, hit a little bit, Jesus' whole point here is you don't just turn the other cheek so that you're, you're hit, it's that, you, that you're hoping for the relationship to be restored or have, have some love in there. Uh, he doesn't want us just to refrain from vengeance. He wants us to be thinking about that person. And if someone's wronged us, no matter how messed up it was or vicious it was, to treat them with hope to treat them with forgiveness. If you're going to oppose them, oppose them in love and goodwill, I think is what, what Jesus is saying here. Kindness is the willingness to suffer wrong at the personal level, hoping for the relationship. Kindness is doing our part to try to win people over with love. Have any of you guys seen the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson? It's an awesome movie. 42, of course, being the, the jersey number that he wore uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, incredible story. Of course, you know his story that... He helped bring about the desegregation of, 
of you know, uh, Major League Baseball. It's, it's incredible. But what I didn't know about his story and what the movie actually doesn't really cover as good as that movie is, is the fact that both he and Branch Rickey, who was the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, had at the very heart of what they were doing, seeing that all as God's work. And Jackie Robinson in particular was driven and motivated by these very words of Jesus. Isn't that incredible to consider? I mean, you know his story and what he faced. In fact, Branch Rickey, he had this hope, this vision of maybe this could, this could come about. And he went out looking for an individual, just a, uh, an athlete who he basically knew had to have at least two things going for him. One, this athlete had to be a stud of studs, like super good. And the African-American leads already had, were, were filled with studs of athletes. But this one had to be the better than the best if they were going to do what they were going to do and, and leave a mark, right? So that's what Branch Rickey was looking for. And the other thing Branch Rickey was looking for was somebody who had incredibly strong character, because it didn't take a rocket scientist to know that this individual was going to go through a hellstorm, right? And they talked about it. And Jackie Robinson, at the heart of what he set out to do, had these words, turning the other cheek in mind. It's just incredible. I mean, you think about, there's a good reason why uh, the number 42 is not just retired from one team, but all teams in baseball. And that a lot of teams actually, this was a couple a month or so ago, all of the, everybody in baseball wore the number 42. It's incredible. Because he stood in the face of racial slurs, uh, just death threats, you know all the, all the deal, and yet never once retaliated. And what both he and Branch Rickey knew is that if he retaliated once, it could have been everything was over. Now, those were terrible circumstances and all the rest of it, but you think about the wonderful power and willpower and character of Jackie Robinson to do it. It was all generated by kindness. What Jesus is talking about here, loving your enemies, and you think about how Jackie was doing that for the sake of people who probably didn't even understand what he was doing, even for them as they were opposing him and all the rest of it. Or listen to how Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this, a guy who has some credibility on this subject himself for being a Christian minister who stayed in Nazi Germany and was ultimately martyred there. Here's what he said about these very teachings of, of Jesus. He said, the only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it is looking for. Resistance merely creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames. But when evil makes, uh, meets no opposition and encounters no obstacle, but only patient endurance, its sting is drawn, and at last it meets an opponent, which is more than its match. Of course, this can only happen when the last ounce of resistance is abandoned, and the renunciation of revenge is complete. Then evil cannot find its mark. It can breed no further evil and is left barren. Jesus is saying... We might dismiss it as impractical or whatever, it might, but the case is it's the only way. It's the only way. And you think about the state of our society right now and how polarized it is. And on so many fronts, it just feels like a downward uh, spiral effect on so many. Jesus is saying, well, here's the antidote. Ready? Kindness. But not just kindness. Kindness even in, especially in the face of opposition. Borrow again from Bonhoeffer, it can pull out the sting. Uh, one more quick thought about what kindness is, and then we'll move on to how to cultivate it. Uh, we see that Jesus really here is saying is kindness doesn't expect reciprocity. Okay, look at verses 30 and 34. He says, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. If you lend to those uh, from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Lend without expecting to get anything back. It seems to me that when we 
ever maybe just miraculously muster up kindness to offer to somebody, even if unwittingly we'll do that with the hopes that we'll get something in return. I mean, it seems to me that's just often tends to be the case. We'll do something out of an act of love or just do something, but and if we don't get the response we were hoping for or even just any response we were hoping for, then we can become embittered or upset or whatever it might be. But the reality is in, that, in the midst of that, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because kindness doesn't expect, reciprocity doesn't expect an outcome. It's thinking about that boss who really has it out for you, not in, in loving them in a tangible way, not just hoping that maybe it'll just help the relationship or do something for you in, in this way or that way, but doing something on your part to just do your best to, to win them over with, with love for the sake of the relationship. So that's kindness. It's the willingness to suffer. It's the willingness to have concern and hope for the relationship, even in the face of opposition, it's not expecting, demanding an out outcome. In short, it's doing our part to try to win people over with love, regardless of the response. It's an incredible teaching. It's a mountaintop ethic. So how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate it? Jesus gives us at least three ways we cultivate kindness. Number one, he calls us to act. He wants us to act in order that the heart may follow. Notice in this whole teaching, this love your enemies, be kind, even in the face of opposition teaching, is in no way Jesus saying, hey, you just need to like somehow feel differently towards your enemy. You just need to like find a way to be lovey-dovey towards them and just get your feelings to just cooperate. That's not what he's saying. In fact, the very word love, when he says love your enemies, is the Greek word agape, which is literally sacrificial love. It's love that's not just lovey-dovey. It's just saying, you know, I'm going to choose to love sacrificially. And then, of course, we've talked about this before, but there's all this action language here. Verse 27, do good. Verse 31, do to others as you do to them, uh, as they have, have done to you. Uh, verse 35, do good to your enemies. And saying repeatedly, repeatedly, we've got to do, we've got to act, we've got to do these things out of kindness. It's acting and the heart will follow. Three specific ways we can act, he calls out here at the, at the top. Number one, we need to bless. Verse 28, bless those who persecute you. Let me ask you a question. How do you speak about those who just really great at you or maybe have it out for you or make life miserable for you? How do you talk about them with others behind closed doors? Do you bless them or do you curse them? Cursing them being, right, speaking ill towards them, belittling them, their character, their dignity, cursing them being wishing a bad outcome upon them. Blessing, of course, being wishing a good outcome for them, speaking well of them. Do you bless them or do you curse them? And let me ask you, uh, if, if you're more of the, the cursing kind when it's behind closed doors and you're talking about them, what might it sound like to bless them? Nobody's around, just, just bless them. And by the way, we're not saying forgetting the fact that they're mistreating you and that there's some hardship. We're not talking about that. But in light of that, what might it look like? What might it sound like to actually bless them? Jesus is saying we need to bless those who persecute you. And your heart will follow. Or, or consider this next thought. He says, pray. Pray for those who mistreat you. You want to experience the power of what Jesus is talking about here in this famous teaching of love your enemies. Do this. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you've never done this before, it will rock you. It's rocked me. <laughs> because if you know the Lord and his character, even if what little you know of him is that he's a God who calls us to love our enemies, you cannot... Go to him in prayer and say, and Lord, I just want you to smite my boss because I just can't stand him. 
We can't do that with integrity. That's not a prayer God is about. Instead, the prayer, if we're real about it, is more like, Lord, I'm coming to you, and I just got to start with confession. I don't really like this person. It's really a struggle. And I know you call me to love, and frankly, if anything, I have been letting my frustration with this individual come out sideways. And that's not right. I need to start by saying that's not right. And I also want to do what you call me to do, and that is pray for them. And that's hard for me to do even in this moment, but I want to pray for them. I want to pray for their well-being. I want to pray that you would bless them and their family, take take care of them, watch over their needs, help them experience your love. Yes, even through me. And man, even as I just go through that exercise, it's like your heart follows it. Jesus calls us to pray. And hey, if if it's hard for you to pray, the Lord knows that already. You can bring that to him. Or it's even hard for me to pray. The Lord will meet you there. Can you ask him to help you want to pray for them? Uh, We need to bless. We need to pray. And then uh, we need to give. Verse 30 says, give to everyone who who asks. Uh, In another famous teaching, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, I think we get that thought. It's this idea, he was speaking about money. It's like the things that we want to buy or invest in, like that's where our hearts go. That's like our treasure, so to speak. How cool would it be is if we're thinking about our enemies or those who oppose us in such ways, just thinking about their needs, at least positioning ourselves to consider that. Again, regardless of whether they respond in a way we would hope to them, but give and try to meet a need because Jesus tells us to. That's kindness in the face of opposition. We need to bless. We need to pray. We need to give. We need to act, and the heart heart will follow. And one more thought here real quickly before we move on to the next is the fact that in the Greek, the, 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 the tense of the word is the present imperative, which is just to say that what Jesus is here saying is it's the ongoing thing we need to do. He's not just saying bless, pray sometimes. He's saying be blessing, be praying, be giving. In other words, kindness is ongoing. Kindness is something that we need to form as a habit, as as, as behavior. So, okay, how do we cultivate kindness? Number one, we act. Number two, we anticipate. We anticipate what's to come. And really, uh, we, we choose to act in kindness in light of what's ahead. And really, I think this is beginning to get into the power to actually do some of what we're talking about today. Because I don't think if we live in light of here and now in this world, we're going to act anywhere near as kind, at least to the extent that Jesus is calling us to here. Why would we? If this world is all there is, why would we choose to be kind in the face of opposition? For instance, as we've been defining kindness, right? Doing doing wonderful things, nice things, even in the face of opposition. Because, for instance, sometimes it would just make more sense just to try to avoid that person, right? Now, I'm not saying go out of your way to be around that person, but I'm saying, but it's, it's not tr- actively avoiding them. Or think of it this way. If, if all, was, all that we had was here and now, why would we choose to be kind to our enemies when we could really, like, man, maneuver ourselves in the workplace to kind of oust them or at least stick it to them? Like, why, why would we do but you see, the, the problem with that is if we do it that way, that's the way this life works. That's why there's so much unkindness out there. Everybody's operating on that standard of mode. The only way to break through that, Jesus is saying, is to turn the other cheek, is to love your enemies, even in the face of opposition. Now, it's not easy necessarily, but it's the only 
way. And a big part of that, Jesus says, you can begin to do this when you anticipate what's to come. Specifically, he talks about two things here. He says in verse 35, you can choose to be kind in this way when you understand there's a heavenly reward. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Jesus is saying, live as if the next life there's a great reward, and then you could begin to make these choices to be kind, even in the face of opposition. There's a reward coming. And, you know, this is total speculation, but I wonder if for some, the reward's going to be a restored relationship, not only with that individual, but in choosing to be kind in the face of opposition, that person will also experience the love of God and be restored to him. Now, you might be thinking, well, I just don't like that person. I'm not sure they want them. But, hey, in the eyes of eternity, you're going to want that. It's going to be wonderful. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But even that aside, Jesus is saying, the Lord sees it when you do this kindness, when you choose to do good, even to your enemies, and brings delight to him. He'll reward that. But then number two, we can anticipate and, and choose to be kind, uh, kind in this life, uh, in the ways that Jesus is calling us here, because we know that all wrongs will, in the end, be righted. Recently, a group of leaders and I, uh, memorized uh, Romans 12, which is a fun, fun text. And in that text, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of reemphasizes uh, a lot of the teachings that Jesus has here in, in, in Luke 6. I mean, listen to how uh, parallel Paul's teachings run with what, what Jesus originally said. So he said. He wrote, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, this is saying we can choose kindness, as Jesus is talking about, even in the face of opposition, when we understand that God's going to make all wrongs right in the next life. He's going to take care of justice. He's going to make sure justice comes to pass. This does not mean we don't concern ourselves with justice in this life. That's not what we're talking about. But it does mean that in the context of personal relationships. We don't need to look at them as the world does to manage the minutia of what's right and wrong, fair or unfair. Again, that's not to say those things don't matter. They do matter. It's to say we're not to let them overshadow what really matters, and that is loving response. I love the summary verse that really kind of captures it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we cultivate kindness? We act, we anticipate, and then finally we remember. Specifically, we remember who we are and whose we are. Uh, growing up in my family, whenever uh, my older brothers and sister went out for uh, you know a night when they got their car and they were teenagers, they went out for a fun night, uh, my dad would always say a few words as they left the house. Every time they left the house, he'd say these words, remember who you are and what you represent. Remember who you are and what you represent. And as a little guy, so I'm number four of six, I heard that so often from such a young age, I just didn't think anything. I just thought that's the, you're supposed to say that when you leave the house at night. It's like, okay, remember who you are and what you represent. But then I left as a teenager one night, and I was driving down the hill, and he had said that to me a few times, but this was one of those times I was going out, and I just like thought about those words. 
It's like for the first time, it just kind of like registered. And I was like, oh my goodness, what an incredibly helpful and wise principle to help us live our lives. And what was he saying? Remember who you are and what you represent. As we went out on the town, he's, he was saying, hey, you have a lot of freedom here to make choices for good or for bad. Have fun, but don't compromise who you are or whom you reflect, which, by the way, isn't just your family. It's being a follower of, of his. And it seems to me that's the most powerful motivator to do any of this miraculous thing that Jesus calls us into, loving our enemies, being kind in the face of opposition. Here it is in verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. At the end of the day, Christian friends, we can cultivate this extraordinary kindness that the world so desperately needs to the extent we remember who we are and whose we are. Which, think of it this way. It's like when, when being kind in the face of opposition is just too hard, feels too impractical, it's remembering who God is and what he has done for us. Because consider the one in whom is teaching this lesson, love your enemies. You know what Romans 5 tells us, verses 8 and 10? God died for us when we were his enemies, when we were sinners. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that God looked at us when we were at enmity with him. Well, how does that work? Well, when we chose to reject him and choose to reject him in his ways. By the way, by living unkindly and the whole rest of it. In our own ways, we reject the creator, our provider, the lover of our souls. We, in our own way, slap him in the face on the cheek. We, in our own way, not only take the coat he's given us, but demand the shirt as well. And what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus laid down his life to give us forgiveness, to give us life. And so therefore, to the extent we let that sink into our hearts, that he was kind to us when we didn't deserve that kindness, we can begin to maybe just maybe start to live this out being kind, even in the face of opposition, turning the other cheek. Yes, because he did that for us. And so therefore, when we face something really, really hard, and we're just like, I, this is just too impractical. I can't, I can't do this for that person. You've got to be kidding me. We can say to ourselves, but wait a minute. I was an enemy too. I did wrongs. I've done wrongs. And if I hold a grudge against this person, how can I expect Jesus to forgive me. And if, I, if I'm upset with this person for the two wrongs or the two sins that they have against me, how can I expect God to forgive the two billion sins I have against him? Be merciful because your heavenly father is merciful. Is, is merciful. You will be children of the most high because he is kind. So as the band begins to make their way back up, would you consider with me how wonderful this would be? If we just started to live this out, even just an iota more, the world needs this kindness. But it's not just going to happen. In fact, it can't just happen. We need outside help. There's just no way. It's a wonderful teaching, but there's just no way with what is in front of us, but with what Jesus has done for us, his kindness, his initiative to love us in this way, in the, in the face of our opposition to him, we can be willing to say, you know what, I want to choose to go ahead and suffer. It might be hard, but I want to choose to suffer 
because I want to have a concern for the relationship. I want to have hope for that relationship. And again, just to think about the impact that I can have in our web of relationships, let alone in our society, if we can begin to do this. By the way, with those who are close to us, let alone our enemies. It's incredible to consider. And the promise here is God wants to help you in this, help cultivate this in you, and will help cultivate this in you as you commit the best you can with his help to do this, to be loving, to be kind. Uh, let's pray. Actually, first of all, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here today, to receive what Jesus has done for you. The gospel message, to receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers on the cross, and that when God the Father raised him to life on that third day, the promise is you too will have life because what he has accomplished for you. At one place in the scriptures it says, to all who receive him, to all who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. If you want to receive that today, I want to give you an opportunity. Those of you guys who are here or those of you guys who are logged on online, there you can follow a prompt. But if you're here, I'd encourage you to go ahead and raise your hand. It's not the, it's not the, the raising your hand that saves you, but I'll see it and pray for you. It's receiving what the Lord has done in relationship with him, asking for his forgiveness that he would receive you. If you'd like to receive him today, I want to give you that opportunity. Take a moment here. Yes, I see that hand in the back. Any others? Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to pray for this individual who raised her hand. Lord, would you just comfort her and fill her with your love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness as she takes a step to, to follow you. And would you help us as a church come alongside her? And Father, as each of us kind of wrestle and, 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 and take to heart what it is, this wonderful but you know, challenging teaching to love our enemies, to be kind even in the face of opposition, Father, would you help us in this space? We do confess that we far too often aren't kind even with those who we're close to, let alone, let alone those who are our enemies, but we also recognize the, 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 the incredible power there is in all of this let alone the glory that it would bring to you, let alone the, the gospel light it would bring into our society. Father, would you help us be a, a church and followers of yours here at Current, marked by kindness. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.